love for you to think about a moment that you chose to help someone. What was it that inspired you? Who did you choose to help? What was the cause that drew you in? And what impact did that choice have on who you are? Or the impact that it may have had on those that you served? Welcome to Time to Come Alive. My name is Valerie Hope, and I am your host. I'm so excited every week to have fascinating, there are fascinating people in this world. And every week I have an opportunity to talk to at least one of them. And today is no different. I am so glad that during this time we have an opportunity to become even more conscious of the world around us, become even more connected by getting to know someone that might be different from us, but also more creative because with information and with new knowledge, we have an opportunity to expand ourselves. And today's guest will do exactly that for us. Before I introduce him, though, I want to make sure that you know that you can subscribe to every episode of this podcast by going to timetocomealive.com. And by registering there, you will get every episode in your email inbox. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, Connect to Joy, and be notified through YouTube for any new episodes that I post. Now today, I want to introduce you to my guest, Bill Garrett. Now Bill is the founder of the Felony Foundation, but the reason I know Bill is because Bill and I go to the same church, <laughs> Unity on Greenville. And Bill, I have two distinct memories from our interactions. One is, I think I was the celebration assistant one Sunday. I was doing announcements and I was sitting in the front seat and you had come to the front of the, of the sanctuary to make an announcement about the Felony Foundation. You were introducing it or asking for support some way, shape or form. And, and I remember my, my first thought was like, huh, the Felony Foundation, Bill, he seems such a sweet guy. <laughs> I wonder why he chose that particular cause. It literally was in my head like, hmm. And then as I've gotten to know you, you clearly are a sweet soul. You're <laughs> super caring and open and you share your heart and your, your thoughts so freely. And we had this really wonderful conversation sitting in the pews after church one Sunday where I just was inspired to invite you to be a guest on Time to Come Alive because of some of the things that you shared about who you are and what you've learned. And you're, you're such a level of deep compassion for those you serve, for those who have been incarcerated, that I thought, wow, that's just a, it's just a story and a, a story and a feeling that I've never had in relation to what, you know, what, for someone that has committed a felony. It's not something that is general, that's generally expressed or you hear about. And so I thought, oh, this would be such a wonderful conversation to have for other people to hear as well. So welcome to Time to Come Alive, Bill. Thank you. Hey. Thank and you. <laughs> what else would you like for us to know about you before we dive in? Um, well, my name is Bill Garrett. <laughs> Hello, it's nice to meet you. And uh, I run the Felony Foundation here out of Dallas, Texas, like Miss Valerie's already told us. Um, I do have a lot of compassion for my ministry and for people around me, my fr family and friends. And um, I'm just a 
poor boy from South Texas. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's more to you than that, but that's that's yet to be discovered. No worries, <laughs> Bill. So let's let's start off first of all with what is it that brought you to founding something like the Felony Foundation? Let's just start with that, and we'll we'll move around a little bit after that. Okay. Well, I was incarcerated uh, for seven and a half years. Um, I got out in June of 2012, and um, I have shared this with Valerie, so now I'm sharing it with the world, is that uh, the reason that I started the Felony Foundation is because I was incarcerated for those years, and I was a little upset when I first went to prison. I call it P. I don't like to even say the word prison, but um, I just say, you know, I was in P, and so I... When a person is incarcerated, they go through a lot of emotions. And I was a little bit angry. I was upset because I didn't do what I was convicted of. Uh, I know everyone says, oh, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. And I get that, you know, so that's why I don't even say that. But it's true. And um, but like I was telling uh, Valerie earlier, I said and I told her in our initial conversation, you know, I, I was I didn't do it. But there's other things that I did through the years that I probably should have gone to jail for. So <laughs> that's honest. <laughs> yeah. So this was my penance. This is what you know. It's like okay, I'm dealt this. But I was kind of angry. Uh, it was back in. Um, let's see. I went in in December of 2004. So it was probably January of 2005. I was talking to God one night and I am very spiritual. I, I don't think that I'm really religious, but I am very spiritual. I have a very close connection with God and I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior when I was 15. So I do have that, you know, I, that's my rock. That's my foundation. And I was talking to God one night and I was like, you know, it's like, Oh, why, why are you doing this? God, why are you allowing? And he doesn't do bad things. Of course he, he allows things to happen. You know, he makes good things happen, but he allows bad things to happen and come and go in our life. And he goes, well, then make a difference. And I was like, make a difference. What is he talking about? And over the months, I would think about it and pray about it and talk to him about it. And I thought, I am going to make a difference. You know, when I get out, I'm going to use this as part of my testimony and I'm going to start a prison ministry. And I... At first, you know, I had all these emotions and I, I said, okay, I got to think of a name. And I was going to call it the Open Heart Foundation. And because we have an open heart and, you know, we're opening to the world and, and assisting everybody, trying to help them. And then I, I thought, and this may sound silly because a lot of things I think are silly, <laughs> but I thought, you know, that's kind of like a medical thing, like an open heart, like open heart surgery or something mm. like that. And I didn't want it to be connected with a a medical venture it's like it's prison ministry hmm. so i started thinking about it and i was like um the felony you know i want to use the word felony it was very important to use the word felony if you're going to be in a ministry because people know that um it has to have a direction and then i thought okay felony foundation it sounds good you know the felony foundation and our foundation is jesus christ we we're born, you know, like in my life, he's my foundation. He's my rock. That He's always right here next to me. Like I'm talking to him all the time and asking him stuff and asking for guidance and stuff. So I thought the felony foundation is perfect. 
And then uh, TFF is also what we're called. And that sounds good. It kind of rolls like TFF, the Felony Foundation. So if I talk about uh, the Felony Foundation, Valerie, and I talk about TFF, I'm talking about the same, the same. venture, the same purpose. Got it. Okay. So, yeah. I, I want to, first of all, I want to clarify something you said. You, you, you were in prison for seven and a half years, but you don't like to call it prison. What, why do you call it P instead of prison? What, why does that mean so, so much to you? I saw your look when I said that. And I'm like, um, I don't know. It's like, you know, I guess because there's such a stigma about prison. And, uh, you know, when people find out that I've been incarcerated, they, they look at me like, there's no way, Bill, you couldn't have gone to prison because it's like, I'm, I'm not a gangster. It's like, I'm not that. But I was, I was like, yeah, you know, it's like people, you know, we've had celebrities that have gone, you know, I don't want to say names, of course, but, you know, it's like, something happens and you have to go sit down for a while some people yeah <laughs> sit <laughs> but, down for a while i don't think i've ever heard that <laughs> you, you, you you go, you're it? in time out <laughs> exactly i mean i felt like that i remember you know i never got in trouble much as a child you know i was this goody goody and an eagle boy scout and all that yeah and I, but i remember one time i think i was like in the first grade or second grade and my mom sent me my, to my room for I don't even know what I did, of course, but, you know, I had to go for like 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And that seemed like two hours. I mean, I was like, you know, I didn't want to do that. And so now this, yeah, it was like, go to your corner for a while. You, yeah. <laughs> so, so I'm always really curious about how people learn and grow. You obviously <laughs> had a conversation with God while you're in prison, I'm P, sorry, that, you, that guided you to start the Felony Foundation. But can you tell us what are some of the things that you learn about yourself, about life, about your faith, anything while, while you were there? In time out. I can, I can. When I was in time out, um, I, this is very important to my testimony is that it helped me be such a better person because I would think about it like every day I would think and, and I would pray and I would, I would just like, you know, like get this inner self. It humbled me so much because when I went off to, before I went to, to prison, I was not very humble. You know, I had a very good career and I was like, just thought that, you know, I was the stuff I, and you know, that's not the way we're supposed to really live our life is we're supposed to be humble. So I thought there were, I was talking to God and I said, I want to, you tell me, like, what do I need to work on? And I came up with patience, love, wisdom, and understanding. And that's my mantra. And I said that a million times. I just wrote it down now to remind myself, P-L-W-U, patience, love, wisdom, and understanding. And I said, God, I want to work on those things the next 10 years. I didn't know when I went in how long I was going to stay. I knew the maximum sentence was 10 years. Um, actually I got out in seven and a half, but you know, it could have been, it was whatever God allowed to happen. You know, I couldn't have got out in five. I could have got out in nine, but he chose seven and a half years and that's good. So on, during that time, during that journey, I worked on my patience, love, wisdom, and understanding because in years past, when I was young, I was not very patient at all. It was like, I was just, you know, my degree is in accounting and I was very business and, and my I didn't have patience for people that weren't doing their very, very best. 
these days I am so patient. It's like nothing bothers me. It's like, you know, that's fine. You know, you be you. Uh, love, I worked on loving because I, and sometimes I used to, like, I would run hot and cold. Sometimes I would really be full of love. Sometimes I would be like all about me and, you know, like I didn't want to hear it. But these days I love everybody. Mm-hmm. And there's people perhaps that I don't really like, but I still love them. You know, How do you do it's that? Like, what? How do you do that? How do I do that? It's because I just think, you know, well, we're all different. And we're not always going to do things that please others. We're not always going to say things that please others. And I try to these days look at the other person's side. Like, um, well, what are they thinking? Why are, why are they doing that? And and there's a reason. There's a, I believe every single thing in this world happens for a reason. And so whatever their reason are that they do things that, that bother me or that whatever, it's like, I'm still going to love you. I'm always going to love everybody. Wisdom, you know, I've, I've always been smart because I went to college and, you know, studied and worked hard, but I haven't been that wise. <laughs> you know, I've made some poor decisions through the years. So I work now on, on being wise, that, you know, making the best decisions I can make, being the best person I can be at this point in time, and then understanding. That's another thing is that, and, and that was very hard for me, is that I guess it would come along with, with loving somebody is that, you know, like trying to understand somebody. And so I worked on like things that I didn't understand in the past. I would just ignore if I didn't, if I didn't get it, if I didn't understand a concept of how people felt, I didn't care. I didn't think about it, but now I work more on understanding why people do and say the things that they do and just understanding the world. And it's like, I don't know. I just, that seven years was the best years of my life as far as learning. Like, you know, it's like. <laughs> that, that's such a testament. That's not, that's not what we, those of us who haven't had that experience would typically say. Um, I love that you have an acronym for everything. P-L-W-U. <laughs> so give us a sense, Bill, of what, what did it look like in action? So you're seven and a half years there and you're experiencing whatever you're experiencing. How did those moments of patience and wisdom and love and understanding show up like what did you notice about yourself in the in the moment that you felt oh i gotta work on i get to work on patience right now what yeah what was happening in those seven years where those showed up well anyone that is incarcerated will tell you it's it's horrible it's it's the worst experience that you can imagine um the food is horrible i lost uh probably about close to 50 pounds, you know, I went in weighing like 180 pounds, 185. And the diet, I don't know if it's this way everywhere, but here in Texas, where I was at, uh, it was horrible. You know, the menus were not like they post online. (laughs) And, and, you know, people that read that, you know, like, man, they're eating better than I am. No, they don't. It's the food is horrible. You, You had like 20 minutes to eat your meal. Well, they gave, they said they gave us 20 minutes. When we walked out the door from the, the dorm, we had to walk from, it was about a five minute walk from our dorm over to the chow hall. So that's five minutes. We had to stand in line for about five minutes. You eat your food for five minutes and you got to get back to the dorm for five minutes. And, you know, even though they well, y'all have 20 minutes. No, you don't, you know. And so I would go to the um, medical and talk to them. And, you know, like I had to eat. I said, well, how about if 
could I get a slow eating pass or something, you know, because I mean, I was already, you know, of an age when I went in, I was in my late 40s, early 50s. And, you know, it's like that wasn't right that we had to just gobble our food down like that. And they're like, no, you know, you're not special. You know, it's like everybody gets the same amount of time. And I was like, well, could I get like, I mean, I, they, you could look at me and, and it's like, I, I filled out now because I've been out for uh, almost eight years. But then it's like, they didn't want to hear it. And so, yeah. Wow. Oh, and, and then, yeah. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, and then, and like, uh, there's so much that goes on in there. I had it relatively easy compared to a lot of other guys because I guess it was my age that, you know, people didn't bother me. You know, there were no fights or anything like that. People didn't try to bully me. And that was a blessing. So I, I did have that on my side. But as far as the other, um, there, there, I mean, there was a lot of yelling and screaming and just stuff that is not like we do, like we live out here. It's like, there's a lot goes on. How does love and understanding have a place for, how, how does that grow in a place like prison? Um, my Bible. Um, I grew up in the Methodist church. So I, from the time I was like, well, I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior when I was 15. And I was very much into the church life. I, I grew up as a Methodist. And you know, you have the, the Bible as your foundation but most Christians don't really have time to dive into it because you just don't. You're working, you're going to school, you're doing this or that. So you may get a, an hour a week in a, a Sunday school class learning a little bit about the Bible, but you don't really have time to dig into it. Mm -hmm. While I was in there, I read the entire Bible in its entirety, front to cover, two times. Mm. And I would like study it and study it and study it. And, and you do have a lot of time to read. You know, I read over 500 books while I was in there and I, I, you have time, which is a blessing. But because of that, that helped me with my, my mantra, PLWU, is that I would find these nuggets in there that are just amazing. And when you talk about, cause love is an, a verb, right? It's, it's one thing to have it as an emotion love and understanding is a verb how did that how did that translate to your fellow your fellow inmates or some of the the guards well i i helped people you know like i was fortunate when i went in because you know i have my family out here and my son always made sure that i had money on my books and i was very thankful for that so even though I didn't get a lot of money each month, I had enough that, you know, I could buy soups and chips or whatever I needed. And I would always look around and see other guys that didn't have anything. If they were indigent, it's called indigent, that they didn't have family support or church support, anyone, they, they got nothing except what the state gives you. And so I would uh, maybe, you know, give somebody a couple of, of soups or maybe give them a bag of coffee, you know, something that every week I would pick out somebody that that was my mission that week. And so that helped me grow that way. Mm. How did you go about choosing who to help? Uh, people that were, that didn't have anything that you could tell, you know, when the, when the, we would have store day and they never got in line because they knew they didn't have any money on their books. And I didn't, I don't really think I, I thought about it at the time, but I didn't use a criteria, you know, I was like, just whoever needed it. Whoever felt you felt called to support that day or that week. Yeah. 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 
Let's, let's talk about your family. You mentioned your son. Your son was really a, a source of support for you. So talk to us about your family life and what what impact did you, you know, going away to you know, be incarcerated have on your family? Well, um, I'm sure it hurt them, you know. I know it hurt them because I'm very close. I have a son and I have a daughter and I'm very, very close to my, my daughter especially. And she told me when I got out um, that, you know, it hurt them. And, and they came and saw me, I think, three times while I was in there. And the first couple of years, they wrote a lot. And um, people would always tell me whenever I'd get my letters from my children, that say, you know, Bill, that's going to go away. You realize that, what? And, right? And I said, what? And they're like, everybody that's incarcerated, after about five years, the family stops writing you know, because of, of different reasons, maybe hurt, maybe pain. Um, they, when you do time with somebody that's incarcerated, it's just like you're in there with them. And there's a lot of pain involved. And they said, they're, they're just gonna stop writing. And it's not that they're, they don't love you anymore, but you know, they've seen it. A, a lot of these people that had been incarcerated for 20 years, you know, they've seen that over and over and over. I said, not my family, you don't understand, we're close. Well, sure enough, after close to five years, the letters slowed down, the cards stopped. And I was like, I would like write them and write them and write them and I'd get no answers. And then one time they came to see me and, and I asked them, I said, well, are y'all mad at me? And my daughter, Emily was like, no, daddy, we're not mad. We just don't have time, we're busy. And it's like, okay, so so that happens. And um, yeah, so talk a little bit about, so you, you obviously have a son and a daughter, you were, <laughs> You said you were married. Were you married before? Yes. Okay. Yes. But you you remarried. Talk to us about your romantic life and how that shaped your experience. Okay. Now that's a whole different story. Oh my gosh. That's why I asked the question. Okay. <laughs> I gotta know. We gotta know this story. Okay. <laughs> this is like, I, I'm not good at love. It's like. I've been married three times. <laughs> look at that look on your face. It's like, uh, yeah, it's like, you know, I'm not great at, at being a husband, but I try and I, I, okay. I was married three times. Well, I'm in, I'm in my third marriage. The first two mar times I was married to women and now I'm married to a man. So that in itself, like, um, you know, each of my, my spouses, I, I loved at the time, and I still have a certain amount of love. Um, my second wife, I was married to a long time, almost 13 years, and I just really, she's one person that I can start thinking about and start crying. <laughs> it's like there's just a genuine love there, you know, but we both moved on. And my husband is the same way. I can think about him and I can just start crying because, you know, I have such an intense love. But um, I guess each of the marriages were different, especially being married to a man. And I guess that would segue into that. Um, I knew from the time that I was 12 years old that I liked guys. But back then it was much different than it is now. You know, it's like I, w I was closeted until I was like 47, 46, something like that. 
and you know, even though I like guys, I didn't want to be gay. And I don't think a lot of people do, you know, um, I heard, um, Mr. Buttigieg, you know, who was running for president not too long ago in one of his speeches, he was talking about how he didn't want to be gay because, you know, there's a lot of pain. It's like you, you feel like that, you know, you're told that it's wrong. And, and as a Christian, it's a sin, but you know, that if that's the way you are, that's how you were born. And I had many conversations with God about that through the years. You know, I would like, God, God, if it's such an abomination, if it's such a sin, then change me, you know, change me. I don't want to be something that's a sin or so wrong. And he has told me, Bill, you're fine. You know, you're in my image and you're all right. You're fine. And no one can change that now. It's like, tell me what you want. You know, there's still people that are gay bashers, but I that's fine. It's like, I'm okay with my God. And um, I did, even though that I was attracted to men, I never in a million years thought that I would be married to a man. I was like, <laughs> well, back then, you know, it wasn't legal. So it wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have to think about it. Uh, when I first, um, I moved to Dallas. Well, I grew up in San Antonio in South Texas. And uh, I moved to Dallas, Texas in June of 1998. And in June, in 1999, the next year is when I came out because uh, I had a boyfriend and I really loved him. And, and I never thought that two guys could love each other that way. That may sound silly, but I just, in my head, it was just about, you know, companionship and, and just, you know, being comfortable with somebody, somebody that you cared about, somebody. That, but my first boyfriend, I fell in love mm-hmm. and I still love him. You know, him and his partner live across the world over in Australia. But as a person, it's like, man, I love this person. And that's when I decided to come out to my family. And so I did that and um, they were okay with it. You know, maybe, or to me that, you know, at the time they made me feel welcome. You know, when I told my son first, I think, um, I don't remember their ages, but they were teenagers and, you know, it's like, um, they're, my, my daughter's about three and a half years younger than my son. So when I first told my son, he said, dad, I still love you. And I was like, oh my God. Cause I just thought, you know, all my family's going to go away. And, and it was the same way when I told my daughter, you know, she was younger and she goes, daddy, I still love you. And then I told my mom and, uh, you know, none of them went away. And wow. so that, you know, like my father was not real happy with about uh, about it. We never really talked about it. It's, but you and your dad it, didn't talk about it. Sorry. You and your father did not talk about it. Is that what you said? No, we didn't. We didn't. You know, I told my mom, and she said she wanted to tell him, and she told him in her way. And so, um, when he passed away. Um, my mom came to Dallas for about two weeks, I think it was. Yeah, it was two weeks. She came up here and we talked a lot about a lot of things. And I asked her, I said, well, what did dad think about me being gay? And she said, he didn't, he didn't like it. He didn't like it at all. And I said, really? And I couldn't tell because like, once I came out, I would take friends to San Antonio, like, you know, guys that were just friends. And they were like really 
really gay. You know, it's like me, I'm not like one of those in your face flamboyant, you know, like I'm gay, I'm gay. But some of them were, and he was always so kind. He was loving. He would, he would tell them when we would leave, you know, he'll like, well, y'all come back and see us, you know, and, and he knew I was up, but he did that for me. Uh. And so I get emotional sometimes when I talk about my family and stuff like that. So bear with me, but I want to be honest because this is a part of my journey. And, um, he, she said he, he didn't like it, but she said, I, I told him put, you know, they were married over 50 years and she always called him put and we never understood. She never could really P U D put, okay. like put it, putting, like putting, you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. She didn't even have an answer. She goes, I don't know. I've just always called him put, but she said, <laughs> she told him, she said, put, he, um, he's, he's happy. She said, you know, he was married to women twice and he didn't make them happy and they didn't make him happy. And he is happy and it's not illegal. You know, it's not against the law. It's like, and he's like, okay, you know, it's like, but you know, he was just old fashioned. It was like, that's how it was. And that's why I thought that they would all walk away from me and, and they didn't. Mm. I think it's funny. You started off by saying that you've not been good at love. And I wonder if that was probably one of the reasons. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> you knew from age 12. <laughs> the chances that two women would work out in marriage right. probably not going to be very high. <laughs> so, so let's talk about your third. You married a man. What is his name? His name is John. All right. Tell us about how you met John and, and what did, what... What had you decide once you could marry that this was a man that you wanted to spend the rest of your life with? Well, um, his name is John and I also call him Prince. He's my Prince. So if I call, you know, it's like the Bellamy Foundation and TFF. If I say one or the other, it's the same person okay. or the same entity. Well, he's the same person. Prince and John. And you have so, so many acronyms. I have to TFF, the Felony Foundation, <laughs> E for Prison, Put his dad. <laughs> You're giving me a lot of people to keep up with. Yeah, be like. Hmm. All right, talk to us about Prince John. Okay. Prince John. We'll call him yeah. Prince John. <laughs> Prince John. And I met him at the Neil unit here in Texas uh, when I was in, in Amarillo, Texas. Um, I saw him around the unit and I was like, you know, he's, to me, he's just beautiful. It was like, oh my God, he's gorgeous. You didn't see a lot of pretty people in prison. <laughs> and, and so I, I, I saw him, but I never really spoke to him or anything. And then one day uh, they brought laundry in and they would come like on Monday, Wednesday and Friday and they would bring us fresh laundry and take our dirty laundry. And so, um, I saw him, that, that, that the buggy crew came in across the room. We, we were in this huge dorm. I mean, it was huge. there were, I don't know how many people, were, were 100 guys in there maybe. And the, the doors opened up. Well, he comes in on the buggy crew. And I was like, oh my God, that's baby, that's baby. And so, yeah, I know, right? That's the third name, baby. <laughs> baby, that's baby. So um, I, he came around and, and he, he was doing the pushing this crew and coming he had work gloves on and he walks up and he took my clothes and he threw them in the, the buggy and he starts to give me my, my role and i said hi what's your name and he looks at me like and he took his glove off and he reached out and he shook hands and he goes i'm john 
what's your name? And I said, I'm Bill. Nice to meet you. He goes, nice to meet you, Bill. He goes, I got to do this, but we can talk later out in the, the area, you know? So he wasn't put off by it. So we, um, we went, he, he did what he had to do upstairs. And then I went out there and, you know, he kind of like comes across, you know, in prison, it's like you, you got a hundred eyes on you all the time. Everybody watches every little move. Mm. And I was, uh, I'm openly gay. Right. So people knew I was gay. I'm not, I didn't run around and tell people, you know, the first thing, but I mean, the word got out and they're, Oh yeah, Bill, he's gay. You know? So people knew probably when they saw me and John talking that, you know, I was like interested in him mm -hmm. and we were standing there talking and everything. And, and then, um, you know, he told me where he was from. I told him where I was from and then he took off. And then, you know, the next time he came in, we talked some more and then we got to where we would just hang out all the time, you know, like, uh, we'd go to chow together or go to the law library and, and just everybody on the unit knew that, you know, the, the guards knew, you know, they would see us walking around and, and we lived in different buildings. So they would always like, we know what y'all are out to. <laughs> you know? And there, there was never anything sexual or anything like that. It was just, we liked each other. Hmm. And then it evolved. And then, you know, when I got out and I stayed in touch with him, he was real surprised by that, which I was surprised. I was surprised that he was surprised because we had met in June of 2010. We've known each other 10 years now. And in August of 2010, we were talking one time. It was like he was on his rec yard and I was on the other side of the fence and we were talking through the fence. And I, you know, in my head, I always have to understand what's going on. And I said, well, John, I said, what is up with us? And he goes, what do you mean? What's up with us? And I go, well, and he goes, we're a couple, Bill. And I was like, what? <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> he goes, well, yeah, it's like, isn't, isn't that what you want? And I said, well, is that what you want? And he's like, well, yeah, you know, so, so, okay, man, it's sealed. It's like, we're a couple. <laughs> and, and I think that's how it is with dating. Even when you're, you know, in a straight relationship, when you're first, oh, you know, <laughs> right? Oh, it's it like, is all the girls. Yes. We talk about this all the time. Like, well, is it a thing? Is not a thing. I don't know. It feels like, yeah, I, I can absolutely <laughs> relate. <laughs> so, so, you know, exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, it's like, I've had both uh, straight relationships. I've had gay relationships. It's all the same. You know, it's like at the beginning, it's like, do you trust this person? Do you know, it's like, is they're good for you. And so when we confirmed that it was like, okay. So then when I got out, and I stayed in touch with him and, and he was real surprised. He was like, I don't, you know, like people, they make commitments in prison and then they just, you never hear from them again, you know? And so I was like, no, this is real. So then whenever, um, in 2015, whenever gay marriage became legal, um, we started talking about it. And like, I, I didn't think that we would ever do that. You know, I didn't ever think I would be married to a guy. But when we started talking about it and created that dialogue, I asked him, I said, well, we can get married now. And he goes, do you want to? And I said, well, I don't know. Do you want to? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, he goes, but Bill, you know, he's still in there and he's going to be there for a while. Mm -hmm. And he said, uh, are you willing to make that commitment? Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, because I mean, I love him. And so we got married, um, you know, the, 
we didn't really have a ceremony thing because we got married there in the union. I had gotten out in uh, June of 2012. And then we got married on June the 8th of 2016. And so I went back and, and we had the, the pastor from the Cathedral of Hope here in Dallas actually married us. And we um, performed the ceremony and he didn't marry us. <laughs> he, he performed the ceremony. And uh, it was just me and John and one of the guards and the lady from the law library. They were our witnesses. And it was sweet and loving and, you know, I'm married. And so yeah. four years married now, what are some things that you've learned about yourself married to a man that you perhaps didn't know when you were married to women? That as different as it is, it's very much the same. You know, people are people and we all have needs and, you know, we have the emotional needs. We have the, you know, we just needs. Um, it hasn't been easy. It has not been easy at all because of us being separated, you know, like we can't chill and have long conversations. Our letters are through letters and telephone calls. And, you know, I go see him every single chance I get right now with the Corona crisis. Uh, I'm not able to go visit mm -hmm. and that's been real hard. That's the last few months. It's like, cause I, I was in the habit of going to see him once a month and not, you know, it's like, you, you feel like all this anxiety. I know that people out here, you know, couples are going through a lot of crisis, you know, cause they're, they're at home together 24 hours a day. <laughs> they're in time, you're in time out, they're in time in. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that's good. But I mean, it's, it's been, you know, a roller coaster. We fight, we make up, we, you know, it's like, it's like anybody. I mm. love him. And so transition a little bit, let's talk about TFF, right? The Felony Foundation. Mm -hmm. what, what inspired you? What exactly do you want the Felony Foundation to do for, for other men or women, I imagine, right? It's both. It's both, yes. Both. What, what exactly would you like for that organization to do? And everything that you've experienced, you know, you mentioned in the beginning that you were, you were called to, 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 make, to make a difference to make a difference. So what difference is it that you would like to make or you like the foundation to make? Okay. I guess the main thing I want with TFF is to bring visibility to the incarcerated because even though we're taught as a Christian that we are to go and visit people in prison, we don't always do that. You know, that's the last thing on the agenda of the church is to go visit prisoners. And they're like, you know, well, they did something horrible. They need to, you know, and I used to be the same way, you know, like I remember with my first wife, and I, I think I shared this story with you because we talked a lot when they're, you know, in our conversations at church, we talked a lot. And so with my first wife, this was like in 1976, she was from Houston, her and her family. And we were at a prison rodeo there. They don't have those anymore. But back then in Huntsville, they would have these prison rodeos where they, the cowboys were inmates. And we were sitting there talking and, and everything. And my first wife, Myra, she goes, um, isn't this sad? And I go, isn't what sad? And she goes, you know, we're sitting here and we're having our hot dogs and drinking our beer and having a good time. We get to go home. These guys have to go back to an empty cell. And I said, well, you know, if they did the crime, they need to do the time. I mean, I didn't want to hear it. And that's more or less how society feels is that they don't want to really do anything for inmates. 
And I want TFF to be there as a platform to help people understand, because even though I felt that way all those years ago, after I lived it and I was in there, I realized that we're all just people. And, you know, maybe some of the people that did something worse than other people, that doesn't matter, is that we're people. And we need to have compassion for everyone. And like, I don't know the exact figure, I've heard anywhere from 90 to 95% of the people that are incarcerated are gonna get out at some point in time. Well, if you don't create opportunities for these people to be successful once they get out, they're gonna reoffend. You know, everyone needs money to eat. And if, if they don't have money, they're gonna, you know, make another poor choice. They, oh, and there's one thing I wanted to tell you is that I learned in there that, that they're not monsters, like people that, you know, oh, all, that they just think all the people that are incarcerated are horrible people. And there's people in there that are just really nice, but they made very poor choices, whether it be drugs or alcohol or sex, they made some sort of a, a poor choice to put them in there. And when they get out, we need to, to forgive, you know, it's like you did your time and, and you've been forgiven. Like I have had so many opportunities since I got out. People have been so loving and so supportive. And I want all of our partners to have that. When I say partners, I want people to understand that everyone that is uh, incarcerated that becomes a partner, if they write us and connect with us and we write them down in the book as a partner. We also have a lot of partners that are, are not incarcerated, people that I network with. We have politicians. We have... You know, the governor of Texas, he's on our list. We send him a birthday card. We have a lot of people. Um, I go by Papa with the ministry, P-O-P-P-A. And Papa is just something that I came up with, you know, my, one of my acronyms. It doesn't really mean anything except that I didn't want to, to put my name on it because, you know, they, they don't know Bill Garrett. They, you know, so Papa's easy to remember. And that's why, you know, everybody, we, we send, when they're incarcerated, we send inmates um, birthday cards. Christmas cards, uh, letters of encouragement, little notes, you know, just, you know, and, and a lot of it is, it's not only spiritual, it's, it's secular, you know, guys that are in there. And, and yes, you were asked early, earlier, uh, girls and guys, we have both men and women on our partnership roster. Um, but, you know, they like just, you know, cute stuff, little jokes and stuff. So I'll put those in mailings and, and it's like to encourage them to, you know, lead the journey. And then I also throw in kind of under the wire, a support system, like telling them, you know, look, you're probably going to get out at some point in time. And the most important thing that you can do in your job, in your life is have a job, a J-O-B. Because if you don't have a job, you're going to reoffend. Mm -hmm. And so I, I stress that, you know, when I got out, well, basically for the last almost eight years, I've had three jobs. You know, it's like, <laughs> I just, I, I work with the ministry, uh, you know, I, I donate maybe 20, 30 hours a week. I, I donate a lot more now that with the Corona thing. I'm here all the time. So I, I work strictly on the ministry. But in the uh, past years, you know, I've had like maybe two jobs, you know, it's like, it's my first big job was at Panera. I worked at Panera Bread for four and a half years. They gave me a really wonderful opportunity. And I've worked, you know, other jobs and, and I can talk about some of those later. But um, you know, working 80 hours a week for the last eight years, I've, I'm tired, of course, but I'm, I'm happy. I'm content. It's like, 
I really have, have and, and I'm so thankful these days that I used to not be as thankful as I am now. You know, I, I thank God every single day. It's like the blessings that he has thrown my way and with the work experiences and all. So I want to, to bring light to all this to society is that we have to create these opportunities for people. And it's my, my whole passion of TFF. Well, the reason that, you know, you know how passionate I am. Reverend Karen knows how passionate I am. All my friends know that TFF will never go away. I can have other jobs throughout, you know, the, the years, but TFF is my passion because I want to better society. And this is my platform, my platform to do that. Mm. When you talk about greater opportunities so that people don't reoffend, what type of opportunities are missing or what opportunities do you find are, are optimal that we should expand? Um, well, a lot of people um, don't want to hire people that are, have a felon, felony. They, um, they just, I've had some doors shut. See, I, before I went in, I told you my degree was in accounting. And I had a really good career before I went in. I, I always had access to money and did very well. And I thought when I got out, I would go right back to it, you know, making 80,000 a year. And it didn't happen. You know, I got out and people didn't want to hear it. You know, you start talking to them and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're this. We like you, you know, you're going to work. And then that comes up and they're like, oh, but we do have this very strict policy about no, fel no felonies. Mm -hmm. And they just shut the door. And I just think that, you know, if that's the way it's going to be, then what is the point of saying that we're rehabilitating, rehabilitating people while they're incarcerated? Because if you come out rehabilitated, shouldn't that just go away? You've done your time. You, you, you've paid your penance. And that's not the way with a lot of companies these days. And I don't know, you know, I may not have all the answers how to fix it, but I can certainly work on it and bring into light that that's the way it should be. Bill, what, what would you like for people to understand about what it looks like to be rehabilitated in, while incarcerated or afterwards? What, what is it that we don't know, those of us who have not that, had that experience that we, we would benefit from knowing? That's kind of a tough question. I'm that's not, why I asked it. <laughs> I'm God, like, what is it? What are we supposed question. to? Yeah, what are we supposed to know? Like, if people are not offer, offering opportunities, and in your experience, you said you have all this back, you have this background and experience and expertise in accounting, and yet your felony has closed many doors for you. What is it that people are not understanding that would help someone like you or others really bridge that gap or open some of those doors? Wow. That's the toughest question I've been asking a long time. Mm. And I don't really have a concrete answer. I need to work on that. Because <laughs> uh -huh. it's like, if, if I could crack the code on that, mission accomplished, you know, it's, that's an easy fix. And I, I, I don't know totally. I, you know, I've got bits and pieces of my input, what I've experienced and how I would want to do it. But how do we showcase that to the world? Because I thought it was interesting, you know, you, you, you hearken to a time when you and your first wife went to the prison rodeo and your mentality about prisoners that time, right? That, you know, you, 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 you did the crime, you pay the time. Is that, yeah, <laughs> right? And then, and then in your own experience, what you shifted and what you were able to transform. 
does it really transform for others who have not had the experience that you've had going to prison or perhaps even having a close family member? Does, does that, how does one change that mentality? And, and these are all just questions that are running in my head as you're talking. For example, if someone comes out of prison, right, they've, they've done their time, when does the punishment end from society at large? Because what you're, what you're describing is that the punishment continues for many that aren't able to get in, you know, their foot in the door in certain employment opportunities or if they've not had the education or whatever other circumstances, maybe going back into an economically depressed environment and reoffending, you know, the, the chances for reoffending are higher. And this is not something I have a lot of education or experience with, but I'm just curious, like, when does a punishment actually end? I, uh, I don't have a firm answer for that, you know, because I, I know how it is. I know the reality and I know what I would envision it to be. But as far as making that happen, I mean, I guess I need to do some more of my homework because if I had that answer, like, like I'm taking baby steps, I'm going along and, and I'm, you know, trying to do what I can to promote the ministry. And, you know, and we have like almost 1700 partners now. So mm -hmm. it's growing, it's grown a lot in the last eight years, which I'm very proud of, but for it to go around the world, maybe, you know, you're helping me right now as people all over are seeing this, who knows who is going to see this and people that could really help make a difference with TFF, you know, partnering with us and, you know, like making this, a, to answer your question, you know, cause it's like, I don't know. I, I, how, how do you change society's opinion on that? Yeah. What kind of partnership do you need or, or what do your partners do to support? Well, you know, we have um, people that have helped us financially. We have and, you know, money is always short with the ministry. There's always like it's very scant. It's like it's not, you know, people would want to give to other causes that, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, if you have you know, a children's hospital or something, you know, like, yeah, you know, the cash is going to come right in. With the prison ministry, a lot of people don't want to donate because they just think, well, no, you know, it's like they're a prisoner. They're, well, as a Christian, we're supposed to help the prisons, the prisoners, and we're supposed to help people that are down and out. And so that is my way of trying to, to help. But then we have people, you know, like um, Mrs. Obama, you know, she has, has been very supportive of the ministry. And, um, you know, she sent me two letters that I still, I have framed here in my home that, you know, like that was so important to me that she acknowledged what we were doing and that, you know, I had an interaction with her because we, we with politicians, a lot of them, you know, we have, we put on the uh, birthday list and we send them birthday cards and Christmas cards and stuff and everything. And they don't really know who Papa is, but she responded and then she sent me a picture a, an autographed picture of herself in the formal dining room which i have showcased here in my home it's like wow this is so cool you know well you know the obamas you know you know some people love them some people hate them but you know the point i love them because they to, in my estimation tried to and they're continuing to try to better society and if we had a, a a mindset of that all throughout the world, I mean, organizations like the Family Foundation would just prosper and we would have a really good world because, you know, we would, 
with me not having all the answers, there's people that I network with daily that do have the answers. You know, you've given me a lot of insight. Other people that I, I talk to and network with have given me insight that they answer the questions as we go along. Mm. And I guess that's a working process. That's a, probably the best answer for you is that the answer, what is, what is the solution? It is a working process and it takes a village. You know, it's not just me. It's not just one little poor, poor person from South Texas. It's, the universe, you know, we, we all have to work on that together and to help DFF and yeah. How does one become a partner? So barring, you know, the Obamas <laughs> and <laughs> other politicians that you may have, like the governor of Texas, who, who, who should become a partner and how do they become one? Okay. Well, anyone that, that I network with, like you're a partner. Once I networked with you through the, the church, I, I put you on our list and I gave you a birthday card. You know, your birthday's back in February. And that's what it made this introduction. February 16, everybody. <laughs> February 16th. <laughs> <laughs> February 16th. Write that down on your calendar. I've welcome cards from everybody. <laughs> yes. So, and, and we talked about this earlier is that uh, like that day, that we were in church and after the service, I brought you your birthday card in you know, this little postcard that we, we have printed out that they all have drawings for, that were done by inmates. And it's like, you know, it's a tool to acquaint people with the ministry. Um, I brought that to you and, and I gave that to you and you were like, so sweet. You know, remember you were like, Oh my God, how'd you know it's my birthday? It was like, and we talked about that. And then I mentioned to you that I had viewed a, a couple of your uh, podcasts because we are uh, friends on Facebook. And I said, I really enjoy those. And you said, well, you need to do one. And I was like, oh no, not me. It's like, I'm, you know, I can talk all day long, but when I'm in front of people, I get kind of nervous and tongue tied. And, and then I said, I feel like I'm the most boring person in the world. I mean, who would want to talk to me? It's like, who'd want to hear what I have to say? And you were like, no, Bill, you are not boring. And you have a lot to say in the ministry and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I came back to you in a week or two and I said, yeah, I thought about it. And I said, I, I do want to do this. I said, I feel like that I do have a lot to say. And I do um, feel like that it will help introduce the uh, TFF to the world. Mm. You know, like people, you know, we do have a lot of partners. Like when I was incarcerated, uh, I had about 75 pen pals and all the people in, in the dorm, you know, like, how do you get these people to write you like every single day? I would get a couple of letters every day, you know, from ministries all over, you know, it's like I, um, I had a ministry, well, two ministries in California. I had a ministry in Colorado that a couple of years ago, they uh, celebrated their 25th anniversary of their ministry, uh, the Joy Mission in uh, uh, Julesburg, Colorado. And I went and celebrated that with them. Um, there's a lady that has a ministry in, um, in Denmark. There's a lady that has one in uh, the Netherlands. There's one that has one in, in England. You know, she's given me an invitation to come over there and stay with her. And I was like, you know, so there's people all around the world. Oh, and then some of our partners, like when I was incarcerated and I had these pen pals, they, they would ask me, they said, Bill, how do you get these people to write you? I said, you just have to be nice and don't ask for stuff. You know, a lot of inmates, like as soon as they get a letter, they'll send a money slip. I said, oh. they don't want to hear that. You know, it's like that shuts oh. it down. You start asking for stuff, they're, they're not going to send you money. It's like, just talk to them. And people responded to me. They would write me back and they were like encouraging and uh, they would talk to me. And, and then one time um, I needed, uh, well, I wanted uh, to write someone overseas. And so 
I was talking to a friend of mine that was in there and he had a lot of pen pals that were overseas. I said, well, can you connect me? So he connected me with this person that was in uh, Thailand and I wrote the guy and he never responded. And then about six months later, I got a letter from another guy that was a friend of his and he told me, he said, yeah, he said, uh, Puskar got your letter and he didn't really want to write, write you because you're gay. He said, um, I'm straight, but I don't mind having a gay pen pal. And, mm. and I was like, wow, you know, and he wrote beautiful letters. He was like, he's amazing. He's still incarcerated over there, but they moved into a prison that they have, they're a lot stricter. So he can't write as often as we do. Like, and, but he sent me one time this, this birthday card that was just beautiful. I don't know how, because he told me, he said, you know, they have stuff over there, like they have vendors that come in and they can buy. Well, he had made this card that had buttons and ribbons and all that. It was so wow. beautiful. When I got to the mail room, they wouldn't let me have it. They said that it was contraband, you know? Mm. So I said, well, can I at least see it? So she held it up to the window. I mean, it was, it was like a keepsake that I wish I had it. You know, wow. somebody probably has it when the guards has it in their homes or something. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just, it was that beautiful. And so, uh, I started writing him, and then after we wrote for about a year or so, he told me there were some girls that were incarcerated in Hong Kong that he wrote to, and he wanted to know, they wanted to write me, but he, want, he wasn't going to give them my address without me being okay with it. I said, yeah. So they started writing, and there's still some, one of them, uh, partner 37, I believe she is, or 39, I forget which, um, her name is Anita, and she's back in Kenya now. And we are like really, really fr close friends on Facebook. We talk all the time. And like, like we talked about how the world connects you, this person to that person. And then, the, well, that's how, you know, I got, I probably have about 50 or 60 of the ladies uh, over in Hong Kong mm. that write us. And, you know, and I, got, I got an email the other day on the website of, not the website, but we, uh, Facebook has a TFF page. And one of the ladies that recently got out from over there sent a message through Messenger. And so I haven't had a chance to respond to her, but she said she recently got out. And, and a lot of these people, they want to stay connected to the Felony Foundation when they get out, which is what I want to see happen. Okay. Because when I was in there and I wrote a lot of ministries, they would tell me that a lot of, they couldn't keep people connected to their ministries. That mm. whenever they would get released, they'd never hear from them again. Those touch, okay. Well, with TFF, I mean, we're like a family and they know that once you're a partner, you're always a partner, you know, and uh, some of them donate, some of them don't, but that's not the criteria. The criteria is that I want them to be successful. Mm. And I tell every single one of our partners when, you know, it's like, I've had, you know, I had some success because I've worked my tail off since I got out and I've had opportunities and, you know, I've, I'm on my third apartment and I got a car last year and I just, you know, have everything all my needs have been met and more that I didn't have when I first got out. When I first got out, I was staying in the halfway house and I was doing laundry for 50 cents a load. <laughs> I had no money. I had no money. And I had, and like at that time, you know, I wasn't really talking to my family and they, and, they, and it was weird because they weren't mad at me when I was incarcerated. And then I got out and they're kind of like, they were taking it slow. And it was like, I understood that, but, I didn't ask them for anything because I wanted to get back on my feet myself. And it slowly started taking, well, I was at the halfway house for 18 months, which I'm not real proud of, but I, I took my time because even though I had three jobs, you know, people were like, 
why do you stay here? It's like, you, you've got money. And I said, I've got to be ready. I said, I see too many of the guys that leave and two months later, three months later, they're right back in here at the halfway house. You know, they violated the parole or something. And I said, you know, they couldn't pay their fees or whatever, I don't know. But I didn't want to take any chances. I said, because I am going to do this myself. I'm not going to ask for any help from anybody. And I did that. I, I stayed there 18 months. And who does that? Who stays 18 months of the halfway? It sounds house? like an accountant would do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Maybe that's your gift that you need to <laughs> continue to expand to educate people on how to be successful financially. It sounds like that's one right. of the challenges if people don't know how to manage their time, money, and energy and end up back in those circumstances or reoffend, like you mentioned. I, I, I want to begin to, to close the, the loop here, Bill. So a couple of things you mentioned. Anyone can be a partner, right? Whether yes. they're incarcerated or have been ever or not, you also basically get your partners from anyone who you've networked with. So I would ask anyone that's listening to this that feels compelled to partner with Bill and, to, and TFF, the Felony Foundation, that you go to the Facebook page. You said you have a Facebook page, correct? And I'll yes. make sure to put that in the notes so that people have easy access to it. Or if you're connected to Bill already, to make sure you let him know, hey, put me on, on yes. the list. And our website. That's the very website? important. It's okay. thefelonyfoundation.com. Got it. Very well, easy to Yeah. Thefelonyfoundation.com. It's very easy to get on there. You'll see a lot about our ministry and yeah. Fantastic. Bill, as we close, what last thought you would, would you like to share with our listening or viewing audience? I want to tell you guys, I love you. I care about you. I want you to have success today, tomorrow, and forever. And, you know, just be happy. Just, you know, we're so blessed right now, even though we're going through the corona crisis. That's what I choose to call it, the corona crisis. Um, we are doing it as a society. We're doing it as, you know, we're not all agreeing on to wear a mask or to not wear a mask or this or that or something. And I get that we're all different, but we should be on the same team. That's very, very important. Wonderful. Bill, I'm so grateful that you said yes to sharing your patience, love, wisdom, and understanding with us today. <laughs> So grateful that we got to see Papa in action. <laughs> Thank you so much for being so generous, not only to the conversation we had today, but also to all those that you serve and that your greatest pain became their greatest blessing. Thank you so yes, much. Yes, yes. Thank you so much. Thank you for Absolutely. having me. Absolutely. I love you, Valerie. Love you too, Bill. <laughs> and I'll make sure to put all the information about the Felony Foundation. So anyone that is interested, please go ahead and reach out to Bill directly. Thank you all so much for tuning in for another episode of Time to Come Alive. As you know, every week we'll have another interesting conversation next week. So stay tuned. Subscribe on our YouTube channel at Connect to Joy. Or you might go to timetocomealive.com and subscribe there. Have a wonderful rest of the day, everybody.